0: How many times have I had the relationship with the sound person at the back saying, it's me, not you? (laughs) Not turning on the microphone. Good morning. morning. You are looking well on a cold day. Some people out there say when you're preaching now and you're online, you shouldn't be referring to anything about the weather or what's going on in society. That way you can clip and use it again and you haven't dated yourself. So, for the record, January 29th, ice cold, nothing new in Saskatchewan. We'll throw that out there just for fun. Really, uh, really glad to have you in church today. I am uh, thankful for the home I grew up in, and I had a place where I had a sense of belonging from a very young age. That's all I can remember is being loved, being wanted, being uh, a place of belonging. I had a church family that loved me and let me learn drums. I don't know what people like you would have felt like when a grade six-year-old guy shows up on a Sunday night with his drum set approved by his parents. I don't know if they talk to the pastor is not all of a sudden this drum set with this amateur drummer is infiltrating and probably wrecking every song service and every song that people grew to love and uh, they were gracious to me and today I'm the drum hack because of them. But uh, aren't you guys thankful for a worship team and people like that using their skills for us? Let's give worship and tech a big round of applause. We could not do what's going on without tech and vocalists and musicians. And so my church gave me that privilege to learn in. You guys are doing the same as we allow people to become equipped and get experience. My uh, community was a supportive community. I remember in January of 1992, I was 17 years old, my final semester of grade 12, doing dishes. My wife wishes it was January 1992 lots of times. Oh, you guys are going to have to wake up, man. That was a good one. That was a smooth drop. And uh, January 1992, I'm doing dishes, looking out at the cows in the corral in the wintertime, probably a cold day like today, and I think I'm grateful for my house and where I grew up, but I think I'm ready to go. You know, 17, know it all. Graduate, come to Saskatoon in the fall of 1992, begin meeting some great people and uh, start in ministry, meet my beautiful girlfriend, becomes fiance, becomes wife, and uh, we begin doing life together. And I have this huge supportive place back home in Whitewood that I would go to, and they would love to see me, and they'd be sad to see me go. It was a few years into marriage, into ministry, into adulting, and all of a sudden, that sense of... Uh, yeah, I'm good to leave home, all of a sudden kind of reversed. And you'd uh, go home and you'd get this huge sense of belonging and being and safety. And then coming, leaving the farm, driving down the lane, my wife would start to see tears form in the side of my eyes, which couldn't have v- made her feel very good knowing that she's my new bride. And I got tears and sorrow about leaving the farm to go back to Saskatoon. But adulting and ministry and school and life wasn't going quite as the book had planned in my head, at least. So the unique thing is that I went from a place of belonging, going out into the world, and then recognizing just how great of a place I had that my family would welcome me back and I wouldn't want to leave because I was so welcomed and loved and cared for. Not a lot of people, maybe, I don't know if I should use the word a lot. There's a lot of people, whether you're in the room or online, and good day to you again if you're online, thanks for being here, the, that have the exact opposite. They can't wait to leave home. And once they leave home, the idea of going back to home is anxiety-rife and stress-ridden and causes all sorts of, of anxiety in their lives. Because for them to go home and to be themselves is almost impossible. They have to be somebody else. They have to be this. They have to be that. And so the sense of being at home causes great stress. You see these signs up in the room. I don't know if the camera can catch them, but these welcome home signs. And we want to be a place where people feel welcomed. But... I think as we look at being welcomed home with God and getting to enjoy our relationship with him, the idea of being, as we're going to talk about today in the Red Letter Challenge, is really at the core of it the idea that we have to um, have a healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father. That if we don't have a, a loving, healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father that he wants to give, Who wants to go be with him? That the sense of being, we could talk today and in your Red Letter Challenge book, in the being section, you're going to read through all sorts of things or you have read through all sorts of things of reading your Bible, praying, community, fasting, Sabbathing. Those are all important things, but we don't do them in order to just get to God so that we can get what we want or get our marching instructions for the day. We do that as the overflow of what being with him is about. And we talked last week, and we'll start where we ended last week, in regards to love is the foundation of our lives. Love with God. That we can't just do things hoping to earn love, but we either we do things because we are loved. And we want to do all of our walk like that. How are we to enjoy being with God When the realities of our family of heritage and our society have brought so much brokenness in that there's a chance that our view of being with God is tainted and heavy and weighted. Why would we ever want to be with him if we're not thinking right about him? And so today we're going to look at three areas that I believe significantly affect our ability, our capability for being with God in a loving way. And that if we get an accurate view of the reality of these areas, it will greatly increase our quality of relationship with just loving and being with God. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? So God, we know that you love us and that you gave your son for us and you've sent your Holy Spirit to indwell and empower us. And yet we live this life for you in this broken world and in these fleshly bodies yet and there's some things that don't always line up to just being able to rest and to be with you. And so today I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint my mind and give me your words again and that it would flow in a way that is able to be received and minister to the people who are listening today. We say, come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30 say this, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. How many of you would say that that's a good invitation? That that sounds good? Don't put up your hand to this. How many of you would use that, those scriptures to kind of define your physical family, your biological family? It's really easy to be with them. They don't put any pressure or they don't bring anxiety up in your life. For most of us, it would be sometimes yes, sometimes no. But we we hear those words of Jesus, and they paint such a a beautiful picture about what rest should look like and what he is inviting us to. Not a harsh taskmaster, not a slave driver, but rather he's inviting us to rest in him. And again, I think I said this a number of weeks ago, it's, it's really interesting that that verse, the picture of rest that is given, is in the context of work that the ox has a yoke and he's got a burden and he's doing stuff and while he's working he's enjoying rest and so there's this whole idea that in this world the only way that you can rest is if you never do anything No, the context of getting to rest in god quite often has a work and an action and an activity aspect to it but it's our mindset of are we being driven by god are we have we taken on too much are we doing more than what he's asked or what he hasn't asked us at all and so there's a not just a not doing anything that's the rest piece it's an obedience to what he's inviting us to. But in this broken world that invitation from Jesus is in such an opposite way than what the world would offer. So if we took society whatever however we painted that or we took the our enemy and we what would their version of this scripture be? What would they be offering us? It might sound something like this. Come to me all you who have it all together and you will get the rest you finally deserve and worked for take my yoke upon you let me teach you and drive you for I am a hard taskmaster and am just waiting for you to mess up come and find some momentary releases from my pain but my yoke is difficult to bear and the burden I'm gonna give you is heavy That's kind of a philosophy that you could pull from the world, I think, that isn't too far off, even though it might be painted in in different light or use different language. But what I'm trying to say is that what Jesus offers and what the reality of what the world can give are worlds apart. We want to be going after that picture of Jesus and what he's inviting us to because he loves us. That's an invitation that flows from love. Love is the foundation. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. They're pestering Jesus and going after him, and they say, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, which is a nice way to say Jesus blew it up said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus managed to take that much law, however many pages that is, how many extra regulations were added, and he built it into two verses. And he said, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments which are rooted in love. So now we, we go from the place where everything has to be spelled out for us that if I if my car runs into your car that I should be responsible and pay for it. The Old, Ter, Old Testament version of that is my bull run, goes and kills your bull and I'm supposed to pay for it. That's a whole lot of bull. And you just keep it coming uncle you're helping me up here (laughs) that everything that had to be spelled out so that God could help at least make people walk in a way that looked loving and do loving things would now be summed up in the fact that Jesus was love and if we follow Jesus's way and we accept him and we live by him and we make love the primary measurement of our spirituality then all the works of the law are going to be taken care of because that's why it was intended in the first place to make us do the right loving things. And so now we can get rid of all the tittles of the law and just manage ourselves by loving Jesus and loving each other and loving ourselves. And we will do what the law was intended to do, right things for right people, for each other. And out of that place of love then flow all the discipleship issues and opportunities and growth areas of our life. I tried to find a phone book this morning. Anyone have one? Should I have texted anybody? Some of you guys. Not many. Some of you, if you're under the age of 25, a phone book is an actual book. It's got paper and uh... it breaks most privacy laws today it's got names and addresses in your phone number and strangers could look it up and they could call you and you wouldn't assume that they're trying to scam you they just got a wrong number because they looked at the b-e-u instead of the b-e-u-t-l-e-r is like my last name and uh... you could think of it as ancient google that uh... you're looking for something you flip some pages and there's some answers and there was white google and there was yellow google and If you were needing something like a plumber, you would go to the yellow Google section and uh, not type it in, but flip the alphabet till you got to the P-L-U-M-B-E-Rs, and you would go down the list of everything that was there, and there would be Anthony's Plumbing Service, and there would be Frank's Plumbing Service, and there would be uh, Zed Plumbing, Z-E-D Plumbing, and Zed Plumbing's always going broke. Why? They're last on the list. They they were always looked to last because they're all good plumbers, but I'll take the first guy rather than the last guy. But you know what Zed did? He put three A's in front of his name. A Z plumbing. And all of a sudden he's at the top of the list. And why am I telling you a story about a phone f- book? Because the point today is three A's. And we're putting it at the top of the list in regards to what to deal with in regards to our being. And there's all sorts of things that we could talk about today, but we're going to talk about these three A's. Because I think if we work with these three A's, the idea of our ability to be with Jesus increases beyond just something we have, the do's and the don'ts of being a follower of Jesus. And so today we're going to be talking about in our, in our process of, of having loving union with Jesus, we want to talk about awareness. We want to talk about acceptance, and we want to talk about abiding. So we're uh, we're going to kind of use the famous passage that Jesus uh, shares in John chapter fifteen, verses one to seventeen. I'm kind of not picking through chapter and verse today, in it, but I want to give it the full context because it talks about abiding it talks about jesus relationship about the about the father it gives instructions for what we should do so i think it's a well-rounded scripture of which uh, all the rest fall under i am the true grapevine and it's important to recognize that when we talk about vine and branches being a prairie boy i always thought vine was the little offshoots and the branches were the big thing this is grapevine so the vine is the big thing and the branches are the offshoots of which which the fruit grow on and so where the branches jesus is the vine Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. Isn't it interesting in this passage how loving and God's commands are interwoven and intermingled? Because in this world, if you love me, that should mean that I don't have to do anything else except what I want to do, I think. I think our world is used to a selfish kind of love, that we, we think, if I'm loved, then I'm free to be whatever I want to be. But Jesus clearly identifies that if we love him and because he loves us, we will follow his commandments and that there's a an ex, expectation, a qualification, not of our salvation, but rather what does love look like? We aren't saved to just serve ourselves and live for ourselves, but we're saved to get to enjoy relationship. And how many here like having a relationship with somebody where it's all about them, or it's all about you? Because if our relationship with God about is about all that we get out of it, or all, what all our permissions are, and it's not about a Actual relationship with God back and forth. We're a very selfish partner in that relationship. And we can't actually enjoy the love because we have to be corrected and disciplined and led into truth. So I was thinking and going back to the introduction of why did he start talking about his family and being. It was kind of set up into this. That in order to actually be with God in our life more than just being with him to get work instructions for the day, but to actually be and enjoy relationship, we have to actually enjoy and love him. And there is a chance that your family issues and what you grew up with and your family of heritage has a little bit of a story like mine. My parents weren't perfect, but they, I recognize that I grew up in a great home with lots of love and acceptance and belonging. And that my family of heritage actually is a, a healthy launch and leap pad towards what I believe a picture of the father would be because I had godly parents wanting to raise us in a godly way. But again, that's not everybody's story. And it's not that that um, my parents were perfect, but you, some of you have family issues where you have a daddy issue, you have a mummy issue, you have a brother issue. You have a sister issue. You have a family issue where the idea of being with family is actually not just not inviting, it's actually repulsive. It's something you want to avoid because the experience with them and when you step into that is nothing but stress-inducing. It's anxiety-ridden. It's pressure. There's no joy in being there because you can't enjoy it because of the environment and what has been said and the memories of the past and all of that. And if that's a large part of your story, I want to say I'm sorry that that's what you had to experience and that you didn't feel the love and the encouragement and the support that you needed as you grew up and needed in your life. The problem with that those family issues is that we can actually take them and project them on God the Father. And we can actually take God the Father and think, well, if this is what family is like and he's father, then I don't really want to be with him or if he's father, he must gonna be like my. Father who was demanding, or my mother who was distant, or my brother who was harsh and I could never live up and be good enough, he only ever just cut me down. And these perceptions from our earthly family and the brokenness that come from them get projected on our Heavenly Father and the idea of, let's have a being sermon at, at church on Sunday and let's talk about spending time to read your Bible, pray, uh, fast, listen and discern. You're, we're all going... Yeah that sounds nice but we're driven from behind the factor the the scene that we don't really have an appetite to be with a spiritual father headship type position because we're driven by this stuff over here does that make sense that we have yeah, and it's natural. It's not a, it's, there's nothing you can really do about it. But this, this picture over here informs our thoughts over there about God. And if we aren't aware that that's happening, we actually treat God as though he's a part of this physical family where he is far different than that. And while he allowed your physical family to exist and you received whatever blessings and you received whatever challenges from them, he is far and above way different than that. And so we have to grow in awareness, otherwise we are sabotaging any efforts to be with God and those thoughts of, this will be a great day, I think I can read my Bible today more than ever before, or I'll have time to pray, but then we get to that point and every distraction underneath the sun comes up and it's easy to set that aside because we aren't actually driven with a passion and a love because we don't really have an attraction to be with a God that we've projected all this stuff onto Maybe you don't have family issues that would inform that from over here, but you just have your own God, the father issues and you've, seen enough answered unanswered prayer and you've heard enough of the difficult questions and you haven't recognized you've seen so many Christian hypocrites and you've this and you've that and all the other things that you actually have a twisted and tainted view of God the Father and because he's missed your expectations now you expect him to act as the God in your mind that you have created rather than the God of Scripture. And that God is is now not a God that you actually want to set time apart to be with because he's harsh or he's passive-aggressive or he's distant. Why would we want to read the Bible? Why would we want to pray? Why would we want to fast? Why would we want to set aside time if it's just forcing a thing of have to in order to know what we do so we don't get in bigger trouble and get more punished by God and so we can eventually go to heaven someday? That is a hard path to manage and to stay energized for it. But if we recognize that we get to be with a loving Heavenly Father and we're drawn into that place because we recognize how much He loves us and where our love for Him is growing and then all the other stuff flows out of, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, what do you, what do you want from me? That is, that is where we want the overflow and the actions to, to come from. Psalm chapter 139 verses 23 and 24 say this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. There is not a question that you have. The question is not, I wonder if I've been affected by my family or by people around me and how they've impacted my view of God. That's not really the question. We've all been impacted by people. The question is, are you aware of it, and have you allowed the truth of Jesus to change and reshape and mold so you actually have an accurate picture, not one that's just been twisted and changed by the world around us? And so the good news is, we don't have to filter that ourselves. We just have to put ourselves before Holy Spirit and make this kind of prayer of, God, search me. We have to recognize there are things have gone sideways. We live in a broken world. Our families aren't perfect. Our friends aren't perfect. And God knows the rock church is not perfect that things go sideways but if we don't recognize that he will speak to us we just gloss over it and get caught doing the things over and over again and fighting the same patterns of avoidance and why it's always a struggle i talked about leah last week and that i puzzled with her out of an as an act of love i want to thank i got to talk about puzzles more often. I had all these texts, look at me puzzling with my spouse. Look at me puzzling with my kid. It's like, wow, awesome. That's awesome. But you don't have to convince me to get into a car with Leah. You don't have to convince me to eat with her. You don't have to convince me to take her shopping. You don't have to convince me to go on holidays with her. You don't have to do, get me to do that with my children. I am passionately in love with my family. I'm mad about them. I, I stayed in, my, my son was involved with a thing in Briarcrest. If I look a little baggy-eyed, we didn't get to leave Briarcrest last night till after 10. So you're looking at a, a late-night youngin preacher getting home in the wee hours of the morning. Why? Well, I love you, and I know you are loved if you got a dad that's loving his kids well. And I will do anything I can for my family because I'm passionately in love with them. If you are passionately in love with Jesus, you will want to be with him. You won't have to figure out every strategy from here to Timbuktu on how to have a more effective prayer life. How will I get to manage to read through my Bible? All the strategies are good, but if you love Jesus passionately and aren't avoiding him because you've got some twisted perception of who he is, man, it is like fire. You can't control fire. Well, you can't. I'm sure there's a firefighting technique. We won't use that as the illustration. We'll talk about wildfire. And that once it starts to burn, it takes off. We want a burning fire for Jesus. Amen? We want a heart on fire for Jesus. And we can step into it. One of the ways we do that is with silence and solitude. Give Jesus some space. Carve out some time. And when you silence yourselves... The stuff starts to come to the surface that you can bring and give to Him, and it might involve some of your family. We're talking about forgiveness next week. There might be something in there for you. You'll, the, the perceptions of God will come up. You can invite Him into that. help him, Ask Him to help bring understanding. Ask Him to forgive you where you've twisted things or shifted things that aren't acceptable. We need awareness of where we're actually postured in, in connection with God who we're supposed to be in relationship with. And if we have any avoidance issues, is what I'm trying to say, any avoidance issues, we need to deal with those or we're just going to perpetually somewhat avoid while trying to make ourselves do the right thing and connecting and it will get old and it won't flourish in your life. We got to know ourselves so that we can get to know God. Number two, acceptance acceptance one of the things of going going home and being welcomed home was not me just being aware that i was loved but they actually accepted me they want me there it's i know it's hard to believe sometimes they they prefer me there than me not being there both my home in saskatoon and my home growing up in whitewood Sometimes I wonder how deeply it's been ingrained in our hearts that we've been accepted by God when we received Him as our Savior and were adopted into the family of God. If we had that rock solid in our heart and we knew that we were accepted, not on some perpetual conveyor boat trying to prove that we are good enough or we've worked enough or we're acceptable enough today, But if we knew that we were fully accepted, that the legal work had been done for us to be forgiven and to be accepted into the family of God, how would that change the way we live to live under the full confidence that we have been accepted by Jesus Christ and that we can't miss it up? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. He, has, he is able to save forever those who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledging their sin, asking for Christ's forgiveness. They're now his children. But it says he makes intercession for them. I've lived a lot of my life viewing God as having a furrowed brow towards my best attempts to do what I should do for him. And I talked a bit about that last week in Good Boy Theology. I'm a, i am this is like my prime example for my eyebrows. Like I have been given the best furrowed brow situation ever. I can make people cry by laughing. Just having joyful face is my angry eyes sometimes because my eyebrows can contort in angles that make me scared when I look in the mirror. So I forgive me. I think I'm going to get a t-shirt made, you know the the Darth Vader's look. His mask, all the places, mad, sad, glad, all the same. Look, I'm going to put Dallas's brows, happy, sad, mad, glad, it'll all be the same. What if we went away and realized that we were so accepted, we were so loved, we so couldn't get away from his love, as Romans 8 says in your your notes there. What if we were so convinced of that? that we got away from thinking that God's brow furrowed when we did something wrong and realized Hebrews 7:25, he always lives to make intercession for us, that if we've done something that steps us away from where God was, he hasn't moved, we've had, we've been tempted, we've disobeyed, we've stepped away. What if instead of God just getting mad at us in our minds, we recognize the scripture says he's making intercession for us? and that he loves us and that he's praying for us and that we haven't just risked our salvation because we've taken a step away, but rather we've activated the clouds of angels and Jesus himself are praying for us to come back and to live the life that we are called to. That that's his tone towards us. Not, I wonder how long you can keep it together today, Dallas, before I'll have to discipline you. And uh, praise God when he disciplines. But but he's not just a perpetual disciplining God trying to catch us do what is wrong. He's celebrating in what is going, going on. He's praying for us. He's making plans for us. He's got good works planned for us that were in store for us before we were even born. Before I move away from acceptance, I want to give you another A word for this. And it's something that I struggled with. And it's basically when I talk about acceptance today... I'm using a code word for assurance of salvation. I made my decision for Jesus when I was about five years old. The gross version is it was on the brown and gold floral couch in my living room where I used to pick my nose and wipe it under the couch. The more appropriate version for online is that I was in my living room. Blank. Sorry about that. But then from the age of five till about the age of 18, I struggled with assurance of salvation. I struggled. There was a time when I was around 12, 13, 14 years old. I was at the altar at the front of church every Sunday morning or on a Sunday night. I was trying to say, God, please forgive me. I won't do that sin again. I won't do that sin. I won't do that sin again. Please forgive me all over again. And I wrestled with my assurance of salvation. And I'm sure it wrecked my ability to just be and enjoy God because I was always under this auspices or this thought that I'm never good enough. I'm always living on the cusp of being cast off into hellfire because i messed up again this week. Am I preaching to anybody else in the room or just myself? Have you struggled with assurance of salvation? If we get our assurance of salvation straight, that if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, we've received his love, and we are in the family of God, then we get to love and enjoy that rather than just living on the edge of, am I in the family today or am I not in the family? Can you imagine my children coming home from school every day and them wondering if the door would be open or not? I wonder if mom and dad still love me because of what I did last night or how I talked to them today. I wonder if they're going to keep me on the doorstep or not. The horrible thing is there might be people in the room that actually live that kind of experience, and I know there's definitely people in the world that have. But I want you to know that that's not God's tone towards you, that his tone towards you is the door is open. Don't live outside of my will. Don't live outside of my love. Don't live outside of my reach. Stay close to me. You are accepted. You are loved. Let's grow in love together, and you won't want to stray or go away if we can get solidified in that part of being with god that it's based out of love not based out of trying to prove something all the rest that we're going to talk about is just going to flow way more naturally and he's going to build into our life that romans 8 passage again was i am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the summary of that verse? That's a lot of stuff that can never get in the way of us and the love of Jesus. Finally, if we have awareness and we can bring Jesus into the stuff that might be sabotaging our direction to get towards Jesus, if we can get solidified in our acceptance and recognizing that we have, are fully loved and we can have assurance of our salvation, then all of a sudden this idea of abiding just takes on its own natural place in our lives. I had a friend preach a message and he tried to give the description and I can't do it as well as he did. But can you imagine a piece of fruit, imagine an apple on an apple tree and the apple tree grunting and groaning, just trying to push out this piece of fruit and force it out the bud. That's not, not what an apple tree does at all. The fruit just naturally flows out of the relationship between the branch, the bud, the branch, and the trunk and the soil. It's all just one natural flow that you can barely stop if you tried. And the work of Jesus in your life, if you're connecting with him and giving space to love with him, it will be very, very hard to stop what what comes from that place of abiding. I said this before, but you're... Your uh, Red Letter Challenge book in the section for being that we're talking about right now lists off a lot of great things. Bible, prayer, worship, solitude and silence, fasting, celebrating, Sabbath. Those are all great things. And when they flow out of a place of being fully loved by God and you fully loving Him, not that we ever get it perfect and it's a process I I get, but if we allow those those things to be... tools or ways that we connect in being together the the pressure the fear of am i doing this right am i doing the right reading program am i praying right am i praying long enough if those things get driven by love rather than questioning and doubt on if i'm doing them right the game changes the the joy changes and god begins to lead guide and direct that you think of a, of a family. We had a great Christmas outreach here, and what was one of the strengths of that night is families that came in, left more joyful, left more connected because they did all these activities together. And did the activities make mom a better mom, or son a better son, or this, that, or the other thing in connection? Did getting to, to pound frankincense in the little thing make Johnny a better boy? No. Not necessarily the action itself didn't, but the, the opportunity to be together and to enjoy that experience together totally strengthened those bonds. So you could actually read the Bible from a, a duty and obligatory position and not get anything out of it and read the Bible more than somebody who loves Jesus or is getting something out of it. That you can actually do all the spiritual practices and get nothing out of it if you aren't settled into a love position with Jesus. That he loves you and you love him. The spiritual disciplines don't naturally make you connected with God. But if you do them out of a place of you want to be with God, they just allow things to flourish. And you don't have to do them all, all the time. and You don't have to do them all perfectly all the time. You may be focusing on one or two areas and then be adding something else to the mix. There's the re- it's like your relationship with your closest friend or best person in your life. It can be kind of dynamic, and you're going to find things that you really enjoy to do do together. And that's probably going to be the way it is to some degree with your relationship with Jesus. You're really going to connect in some ways, and then you're going to do some additional ways just to keep adding spice to the relationship and see what Jesus wants to speak to you from a different way of connecting with him. The uh, idea of busyness is one I want to touch on for a number of sermons. I talked about it last week and that if you build a house, like we're building our house of discipleship, that you have to actually make time for it. One of the ways that we have to make time for in abiding is the idea that we can have busy-mindedness. And that you could actually go be in a room by yourself. You could actually carve away the time. You could actually get away from the I'm too busy mentality. Sit down and still have a busy-mindedness mindset and not get anything out of your time with Jesus. And so part of a marathon runner, we've got a few marathon runners in the room. I know I don't have a team jersey for that team. They uh, didn't ask me, and I'm not training for the marathon. But one thing I know about marathon runners is that because they practice, because they train, because they're disciplined, they actually get a natural resting heartbeat that happens much quicker after they exert themselves on a run so there are times when i run upstairs in the office up here to say something to somebody quickly and i just say just give me a moment (sighs) catch my breath so that saying that here's the key for the car doesn't sound angry (laughs) it's like uh, just let me catch my breath but People that are running a marathon and they're, they're in shape and their heart's in order, they can run up, exert themselves for a few seconds and all of a sudden after a second their heart is right back down to where it needs to be and they can just interact normally. That's what we have to do with our mindset to some degree, I believe. We need to get disciplined and trained, not just to manage all the busyness and all the details. And while we're sitting down quietly, have our mind racing a mile a minute. What are you going to do to be able to set things aside out of your life, write a few things down, grow disciplined so that you don't have to think about everything all the time for fear of forgetting it, and train your mind to have some quiet space so Jesus can actually speak rather than just the voice in your head talking to you over and over again. That that's a huge part in regards to abiding is giving Jesus place and time to speak. On your notes, uh, mentioned Sabbath, and because we're talking about Sabbath today, I just want to highlight these areas again. We won't read Matthew chapter 12, but... Sabbath is a gift. It's not law anymore, but Jesus said that he was Lord of the Sabbath. And so we don't try to do things to try to prove that the Sabbath is holy or good or legal, but rather Jesus has invited us to have this gift that, that is meant to be enjoying his creation, enjoying him, not becoming slave masters of our own design or our own dr- drivenness in our own heads, but that he's carved out the idea that Sabbath is a means for number one, stopping that we actually get to stop our work. We aren't man-made machines that can go forever, that we actually need to stop. Number two, that we have to rest, that our bodies need rest. And you can find that in different ways. Number three, delight, that what we view heaven as in the future is something amazing that we'll get to enjoy in permanent delight. What makes you think you're going to enjoy heaven forever if you can't enjoy earth for one day a week? in some of the ways and the creativity that he's given you and the things that he's placed around you. Find things that you can learn to delight in and to give thanks to God for. Let them be things that build life. Don't find delight in things that are sinful or, or cause strife or anxiety and you come out of your Sabbath having engaged or invested in a whole bunch of stuff that's not life-giving, so all you have to do at the, have at the end of the day is a whole repentance list and try to get in order for the rest of the week. And number four is contemplation, that, that there's a day that when you set aside preferably a 24-hour stretch of time, and again, it can't work every week and it doesn't always work for 24 hours, but if you have a, a tendency and a guideline to keep Sabbath as a rhythm in your life, there's also extra time in there to worship and to be with Him. The band is going to come as I talk about a very spiritual subject called potato heart disease. Anybody ever heard of potato heart disease? If I'm saying it right or got it named right, it's like the time where you take a lovely potato on the outside and you cut it open and it's got a hole on the inside. You know what I'm talking about now? Ever seen that potato? That potato has a hole on the inside. Why? They say it has a hole on the inside because of all the inconsistent environmental pressures that have been put on it extremely wet then extremely dry maybe it's been warm and then all of a sudden cold maybe it had a bunch of fertilizer got nutrients here but then for another season of its life it didn't get any nutrients and the stress that is engaged on put the the stress that that potato is under with the inconsistency of all the environmental factors around it actually kind of rip the heart out of it or rip the bulk out of it and gives gives it a hole in the middle If you live your life, highs and lows, lots of Jesus, no Jesus. Pray all the time, pray no time. If you put your life, your spiritual life under that kind of stress, I think that's when you and I feel like our spiritual life has the heart ripped out of it. That we need a consistent walk with Jesus, consistently enjoying him, consistently listening, consistently being with him, consistently being with community. That when we submit and surrender our spiritual lives to the consistent nourishment of what comes through a loving relationship with the Father, that's where things grow and strengthen. But if we live from highs to low, lots to nothing, it just feels like we're in this perpetual cycle of, God, when will I ever get it straight enough? Or, God, I felt you here and I don't feel you there. And we start being these unstable, inconsistent, flighty type of Christians that are thinking that God's wacko when it's really us. (laughs) When I'm the issue, not him. And he wants to strengthen us. He wants to build us. The fruit grows from abiding with him. We're going to stand. The team's going to sing part of that song again. And the piece of the song that will come up, the healers in the room, I want you to think about that. And I'm going to come up in the middle of the song and lead you in a prayer. But I, I want you to think of, is there an awareness issue in your life between about how you view God are the pressures of your physical or biological family or sphere of influence twisting your perception about God? And you need to invite Jesus in to heal that perception. Do you have an assurance of salvation issue? Are you like me in that either now or at some point in your life or you still haven't got it settled the rea- reality that Jesus loves you? If you put your trust in him and you've asked for his forgiveness, he saved you, you're his, and now you get to walk as you continue with him as you continue to fall in love. And you need assurance of salvation. And some of you recognize that I actually feel a little flighty. I actually am not abiding with Jesus and using some of these tools and things around in order to get consistent in my walk and have my spiritual life strengthened and bolstered and grow. I need help and I want Holy Spirit to help me. None of these three issues or any others are you on your own trying to get it right for Jesus to show up in. He wants to help you and let's pray that today.